Welcome to part two of Mad Unreal's special Star Wars episode. We now join Arthur and Isaac as they dive into season one of The Mandalorian. next Arthur all right the mandalorian the Mando. bright spot now we've just gone <laughs> close to two hours <laughs> ripping mm. up <laughs> ripping up the rise of skywalker Con- ripping up with love ripping up with kindness and compassion um and now we are about to get into the mandalorian season one so yeah. before we get d- deep into the show let's um last time we reviewed we reviewed uh gave our thoughts on episodes five and six so somewhat quickly, why don't we give our thoughts on episodes, um, I should say chapters seven and eight. Does that sound good? Oh, yeah. Sounds very good. So let me I'm going to let me walk you through um, chapter seven very quickly um, and we can give some thoughts on that. So this chapter, you know, chapter chapter six was kind of like the last um, we, we kind of guessed it, it was going to be the last standalone of the season. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um and then we were going to get into what I said was kind of like the main mythology of this show, which is, you know, to deal with, you know, the client and baby Yoda and why the empire, the former empire is interested in him, blah, blah, blah. So chapter seven jumps right back into that. Um, this chapter was entitled the reckoning. Um, and right away, the, the, you know, the episode opens with um, Mando getting that transmission from grief cargo. So, Grief Karga, um, Apollo Creed lets uh, Mando know that he's alive for one thing. Because remember, last time Mando saw him, he shot him. Um, right. Now, I don't know if he, you know, he shot him and he had the best car in his pocket, which saved, you know, Grief had the best car in his pocket, which saved his life. It still mm-hmm. isn't revealed to us if that was Mando just happening to shoot him in that, that area. You know, he shot him, he was going for the heart and um, Grief got lucky. Or if Mando knew, remembered that that best car was there and therefore, you know, chose not uh, to kill him. You know I hadn't saying? thought of that. I have to admit, I hadn't thought of that. Right. Because that's, you know, it's like, hey, you know, we we're having a difference of opinion right now, but you're still my guy. You know what I'm saying? We uh-huh. go back. Um, uh-huh. You know, there's a code. I realized that I broke the code because I, you know, not only did I take the best car from the client, then I went back and got the uh, the product, you know, so I broke the code, um, the guild code. So maybe there's a little bit of that, but we, we don't get that. All we get is, um, we get grief cargo basically telling Mando, yo, you know, you, you've been running and now the empire is back on Navarro and they messed my stuff up. <laughs> they messed, they, mm-hmm. they're stopping my money. They're messing up my mm-hmm. money flow. Um, mm-hmm. I think the words he used is they've installed like a despotic rule. Um, so I guess the client is, is basically a despot at this time, at this point. Um, and he also kind of appeals to Mando saying, you know, you're a man of honor. You shouldn't be out there running like this. Um, why don't we come to a compromise basically? So he hatches this plan of, you know, bringing the baby, bringing baby Yoda back to Navarro and kind of using him as ba- as bait, get a meeting with the client. And then Mando kills the client. He, so he says, if you do that for me, I'll wipe, you know, your, uh, record clean and you can come join the guild again, basically you can become a bounty hunter again. Um, there's a quick scene I love. Mando, after looking at this trans- just transmission, Mando looks at, turns around as he's thinking about what am I going to do. He turns around and looks at Baby Yoda. Baby mm-hmm. Yoda is sleeping, um, and Mando is you know he he just looks at him and kind of stares at him for a second. You can tell even though he's got the mask on, what he's thinking. And it's one of those moments, man, where I realize this show is written 
created and, and primarily written by a father. And I'm sure that the directors and the other writers and everybody involved with the show, most of them have children. And that's a, that's a moment where it's like, we've all done that kind of like looked at our kid, whether they're right. sleeping or trying to make a decision about what we're going to do, what's best for them. And mm-hmm. that was the moment Mando was looking at him like, okay, yeah, this could get me killed, but what's best for the best, best for this child. And over the course of these seven episodes, we have seen him or the six episodes that preceded it. We have seen the Mando kind of struggling with, you know, he's kind of realizing that he's in a parental role. And yeah. he makes some right decisions. He makes some wrong decisions. One of the wrong ones we'll get to in a minute. Um, but that was one of those scenes that reminded me of, you know, this show is being created in a way by people who are just mirroring their real life, you know, um, experiences with their own children. And I think that's one of the reasons it resonates so much. Um, so anyway, Mando, you know, decides to go ahead and do this thing and follow uh, this this plot or this plan that grief has laid out. But not being an idiot, he knows he needs backup. So he mm-hmm. goes back to Sorgan um, and gets my girl, Cara Doom. Um, uh, and, you know, I liked her in episode four. Um, it wasn't my favorite episode, but I liked the introduction of her character. I like how we see her here in episode in chapter seven. Um, she's in a bar fight, basically an organized bar fight, you know, to to earn money. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a man. She has a throwaway line. Actually, did you notice the cat that she's she's fighting is uh, the same race as uh, Darth Maul? I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't notice that. Yeah, the same cat. She, the cat she's fighting, he's of Darth Maul's race. Okay. And, which, and his brother, Savage. So I thought that was interesting. But anyway, she has this line. She calls after she wins the fight. You know, she tells everybody, pay up. Uh, I wrote it down. Mud scuffers. That's the term she used. So henceforth in my mind mud scuffers is star wars speak for motherfuckers because <laughs> the, the way she says it uh-huh. is basically like uh-huh. pay up motherfucker she, but she says pay up mud uh, mud scuffers so that's i guess that's the you know that's the star wars version of that which i liked um she reveals to mando that her um you know she can't really she can't join him because her chain code once they run her chain code which i guess in the star wars universe we're being told it's almost like your social security number um so they being she says you know once they run my chain code if anybody mm-hmm. runs it i'm you know i'm done and basically she reveals that although she was a rebel shock trooper a dropper she did some you know nefarious shit i guess after that we don't know what it is but i like mm-hmm. the hint um, of what that could be. And, and maybe we'll get into that in a future episode. Um, but here's something interesting though, that happens once Mandal- once the Mandalorian tells her, Hey, I'm not just going after any warlord. I'm going after an Imperial. She, in an eye blink almost changes her mind and yeah, says, I'm, I'll I'm roll in. with you. Mm-hmm. Now at that point, I'm thinking it's because, okay, well, she's a rebel trooper, ex trooper, so she has a certain amount of hate. She, you know, she fought against these cats, you know, so she has a certain amount of hate for them. But it still felt quick to me. Like, man, that was a real quick turnaround. But as you're going to reveal when we get into chapter eight, it's revealed why she really don't like them. And it that took me by surprise. Like, oh, she's that. So that's why she really don't like Imperials um, mm-hmm. or the Empire. So we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so, yeah, she she agrees to go with um, with Mando. Um, what follows that is a really uh, cute scene with baby Yoda while they're in flight. Baby Yoda sticks his head down um, into the other part of the ship to make sure that they're other that Kara and 
Mando are occupied, then mm-hmm. he goes back up to the cockpit and does what he's been waiting to do for like you know <laughs> six chapters, been waiting yeah. to get his time you know behind up on the stick. So mm-hmm. this this little cat grabs a stick, basically does what he's seen his father do you know for mm-hmm. months, mm-hmm. and just you know he can he he takes he takes the ship under his own control. Of course, everything goes haywire. Mando and Kara got to come up there and grab him and get the shit back under control. It was a really, it was a really cool scene, man. It was, it was cute, but it was, and it was funny. Um, now it's like we got to find a babysitter, right? And it shows this- that the Mando, like I, like I alluded to earlier, he's got a lot to learn as a parent. Cause like, dude, this little cat at that age, you know, he's he's that he's at that age. He's fifty years old, but in human mm-hmm. years, he's probably maybe not even a year old. You know what I'm saying? So he's at that point where it's like he can walk, but he really can't talk. And he's too young for you to really discipline him. So all you can do is like talk harshly to him. Yeah. But he knows. So he's testing you. He's constantly testing you. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. like in chapter four, when he hits that button and Mando's like, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Then he looks at Mando and he hits it while he's looking at him. Say, let me see what this mother <laughs> going to do. Let me see what right. this muscuffer is going to do. Is he going to mm-hmm. stop me or not? It's that perfect thing. And it's like, yeah, that's what kids of that age do. Um, anyway, so they need a babysitter so they go who do they get they get one of my favorite maybe my favorite character of the mandalorian is quill um played by nick nolte uh the little ugnot from the first two chapters so they go and they get this cat um and they go back to his blurg farm and he's you know dropping knowledge left and right and so he agrees to go with them and he immediately, man, you know, before he agrees to go with him, he 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 drops a lot of canon knowledge. And that's why I said earlier when we were talking about the rise of Skywalker, I love world mm-hmm. building. Mm-hmm. He gets into, he says, you know, the Mando says he thinks that the Baby Yoda is a strand cast. I don't know what the hell that means, but it's, it's mm-hmm. something I never heard in Star Wars. Um, and that, you know, Quill says, nah, he doesn't look like he's engineered. Um, Quill says, I used to work on the gene farms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's too evolved. And then he says, Kara looks like she comes from the Saito caves of North. It's like all this stuff is thrown at us. And it's like, wow, this is a lot of stuff we'll probably get into later on in the series. But it's cool to hear these things. Um, Kawil himself reveals, you know, he was an indentured servant. He's talked about this. He's hinted at this before, but he gives a really kind of his bio. You know, he was an indentured servant um, forced into servitude by the empire. Right. Um, basically served in a served forced. Cause you slavery. see his kind. I think the first time you see an Ugnaught is in empire strikes back in cloud city. Right. Putting taken apart or yeah. Taking apart C-3PO. Yeah. Um, so, you know, these are, it's, it, I guess we can assume that if not the entire race, many of them were, you know, forced into servitude by the, by the empire. Um, which comes to, comes out a little bit later in some things that Quill says and his attitude about that. Um, but at this point, he, he does let Kara know when she challenges him. He's, you know, he lets her know, I'm proud to say I paid out my clan's debt. Um, he basically paid for his own freedom through his work. Um, and then here comes a very, this is a very, very interesting part, man. And I think this, this next scene really not only kind of lays out the the heart of this episode, but I think it speaks to a lot of the series, the entire series or this entire season, I should say. Quill tells, you know, IG-11 rolls up, you know, and almost, you know, of course, Mando and Kara almost blast them. And Mando's mm-hmm. like, yo, because man, last time Mando saw him, he put he put one in his head because he's about to kill uh, Baby Yoda. So Mando immediately says this droid was, you know, programmed to kill the, kill the child. And so then comes this montage which felt long, unnecessary long until you really like see what's happening. Quill details how he reprogrammed IG-11. Right. 
and it starts with you know that that beautiful shot of um quill on top of the hill looking down at the um town after mando had left after chapter one where mando and uh ig11 a shot up the the whole town mm-hmm. and he talks about how he you know took this you know this um droid who was lifeless devoid of all life is what he says even though mm-hmm. droids are not alive quill mm-hmm. says he was devoid of all life and he shows how he repaired them and he, he says some things he says you know um it, you know it didn't require it, it, what he did to to reprogram that droid required patience and repetition patience and affirmation um he tells he makes sure he explains to uh mando that droids are not good or bad they are neutral reflections of those who imprint them um and the reason i say that this kind of feels like the heart of this part of this series is because we've seen so much of the mandalorian struggle with who he is mm-hmm. and kara you know trying to find out who she is after being a shock trooper and having to hide her tattoos and you know she did right. some shit after the war and you know all this stuff and here's quill basically trying to impart this wisdom that you know you get to choose who you are it just takes patience and repetition and doing the right thing so on and so forth um and so i I thought that was a very a very powerful montage and it says a lot about not only that character um but the show itself so and then the mando again even though he heard all that mando basically you know reaffirms that he still don't like droids you know i've seen otherwise um and Quill is like, you know, he wants to protect this child from imperial slavery. Quill's belief is that none, nobody will be free until the old ways are gone forever. Um, so I think that Quill represents a, a group of people. And there's some parallels there between the way he thinks and the way, you know, revolutionary thinks. Um, but let's, you know what, then the next scene, let's, let's you and I talk about this for a second. The force choke. The force choke. The force choke. So they're on the ship, baby, uh, Kara and Mando are, are arm wrestling playfully. You know, they have, they're playing a game basically. And baby Yoda misinterprets it as Kara is doing something to her, to his father, to, to Mando. Right. Um, and so he does what all baby Yoda's good baby Yoda's do when somebody they care about is threatened. He force choked the chick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> what, let me ask you, when you saw that scene, what did you think? Like what happened? Like what, what was your immediate reaction? Well, the first thing I did was laugh. But <laughs> when he raised his hand, let me ask you this. When he raised his hand, did you think I thought, like, I thought like he was just going to push her arm down I, or something and let Mando yeah, win? Yeah, I thought he was going to I thought he was going to give the advantage to Mando by pulling by pulling his arm mm-hmm. to be Kara. Mm-hmm. And then when it got when it got serious, <laughs> real quick, real quick, right. it escalated very quickly. Right. Um, and Mando reprimanded him. Mm-hmm. I thought that, and and I do have to reference that 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 there was uh, I was in a conversation about that scene and about how could there be a connection with why the client wants the child to begin with because there are some dark side tendencies mm. mm-hmm. in the you know in the child mm. um, and I've I've seen some of that that argument you know online also um, I disagree with that argument on just a very basic level that as a father viewing it from a child's perspective with my experience with my children my youngest daughter particular was an infant they're basically about two things food and security and if either of those two things are threatened they're going to (laughs) respond right and because they're not 
they're too young to have the to have the power of discernment. Mm. They'll just take it all the way. They'll turn the dial all the way up to eleven mm. immediately, you know. And that was what 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 the child did to Kara was a reflection of that. <laughs> She's about to cut like, off whatever my food whatever supply. you're doing. He's not winning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cut off okay. my food supply and the cat that's protecting me. <laughs> exactly. Right, exactly. Right. It was it was a really powerful moment though. And it was not just in the sense of him, you know, showing his power. The last time we saw someone who is a quote unquote good guy, I think, you know, force choke somebody um, in the real time of the galaxy was Luke, you know, force mm-hmm. choking them cast at the beginning of Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, you know, that was it was powerful. And baby Yoda, you know, if you go back because, you know, I've said before that when he starts using the force, he gets a real Yoda look on his face and that sway that, you know, like we joked mm-hmm. about before, the earth, wind and fire sway, mm-hmm. man, he he force chokes her. He His hand starts to twist like he really gets into the Darth Vader of it. And it's like, yeah. And she, and she says he was about to kill me and he was. Yeah. Um, so I think it speaks to the fact of if we're assuming that this child has never been trained and everything he's doing is instinctive. So he doesn't really know, you know, the ins and outs of the force. He's just doing this instinctively. It speaks to how instinctive it's not just the light side that is, can be instinctive. The dark side can be instinctive by light side, you know, users, which is interesting to me. Um, but it was a powerful moment. It was one of the many powerful moments that we've seen with, you know, involving the uh, baby in the force. So from there, um, you know, the, the, the aftermath of that is that Quill, who witnesses this, tells us, you know, I've heard I don't know what this baby is, but I've heard rumors of what mm-hmm. he just did. Of such things. Um, uh-huh. I've heard rumors he was, of such things. Right. I've heard rumors of such things because um, he, you know, he was a, a servant of the Empire. So we can imagine that, mm-hmm. you know, whispers of what people have seen Darth Vader do, um, you know, filter through the Empire. And by the time he gets to somebody like a Ugnot, who is an indentured servant, it's treated as a rumor or just, you know, maybe it's just a, a ghost story or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, yeah, he's heard rumors of that. And I, I like the fact that they didn't just come out and say, oh, he's a Jedi and he's using the force. You know, I right. like the fact that they kind of right. keeping it ambiguous at this point. Um, but, to, uh, but still, I mean, in real time, and this is like, you know, sub-level nerd stuff, but I mean, in real time, most of the galaxy, they don't really know anything about right. Luke Skywalker right. and his battle with Darth Vader. And they're just dealing with the day-to-day of occupation. Right. I mean, and what they know of the, you know, the rebel alliance of the revolutionaries, as the client says, who won the war they know about the battle on Endor. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They don't know that up in that Star Destroyer, you know, Luke was going up against Vader and then going up against Luke, the, the Emperor and then Vader threw the Emperor down that shaft. You know, they don't, right. they don't know all that. You know, they, right. they've heard these names. Maybe they've heard, they've heard of Luke Skywalker as this incredible pilot and, you know, a general or whatever, and they know of Leia Organa, but I think a lot of this stuff is still treated as, as mythology. Um, it is interesting, and we can get into this another time, but it is interesting how the Mandalorian himself treats it as, you know, a mystery. When you know mm-hmm. that in the past, the Mandalorians have had a lot of dealings with Jedi, right. um, but we can get into mm-hmm. that in the next chapter. Um, so, yeah, so it's interesting to see also Quill is kind of a mentor to, to Mando because he says some more things here, you know, talking to Kara about how he, um, him and Kara go at it, Quill and Kara go at it a little bit. 
And um, he basically tells her, you know, don't cast doubt upon me um, uh, or me or whom I shall serve. And he's constantly like kind of teaching the Mandalorian, even in kind of like a side way about what it is to have choice and what it is mm, to determine mm-hmm. your own destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to see him in that role, you know, to see the Mandalorian have somebody like that in his life. Um, OK, so they hit they go back to Navarro. Um, they meet up with Greer and Greer's other bounty hunters. Um, and Greer's like, yo, we'll, you know, escort you to the town and we'll, you know, get you close to the client. You can take out the client, blah, blah, blah. Um, they get attacked that night by before they get to the town, they get attacked by those bats, those giant, whatever the hell those things were. Space um, dragons. Yeah, space dragons. Mm-hmm. And they uh, grief is uh, one of grief's uh, bounty hunters is taken is killed. And then grief himself is severely injured. And then we see baby Yoda approach him the same way he approached Mando in chapter two mm-hmm. um, to heal Mando, but Mando wouldn't let him cause he didn't know what the hell he was doing. But this time Quill is like, no, let him, let him see what's up. Even though Man- grief has that great line where he's like, yo, I think he's trying to eat me. Um, mm-hmm. Quill is <laughs> like, nah, let him, let, let's see what happens. Let's see what's going to happen. And we see the force healing for the first time. And we saw right. this is the first time we've seen this before um, in live action. This is the first time we've seen this even before, because this was a week before uh, or a few days Episode. before Rise of Skywalker came out. So we could swallow that pill. Yeah, <laughs> I told you, I told you, I told you this was go- I told you this was going to help. Right. That film. That was a connection. That was the only connection, I think, between Mandalorian and Rise of Skywalker. And I accepted it in Rise of Skywalker. I accepted it when she went to kneel down and I could tell she's going to heal this giant snake that they happen to run into. Mm-hmm. Um, I accepted it there. I didn't accept. And this is just dipping back into the Rise of Skywalker very quickly. I didn't accept the resurrection. You know, I can ex- accept right. you healing someone, but mm-hmm. for Ray to resurrect Kylo, resurrect not, not, you know, uh-huh. and then for Kylo to resurrect Ray, Ray was dead for a, a, a minute. You know, she was mm-hmm. dead and mm-hmm. he resurrected mm-hmm. her. I can't accept that because listen, we've know from the, from the prequels that Palpatine and his, who was his master? Darth Plagueis, um, Plagueis, you know, was trying to find the secrets of life and death to deny death. And that's how he looped in Anakin. You know, he rope a doped Anakin with that. Um, and so now all of a sudden that that's all thrown out and you can just put your hand on somebody and resurrect them. I just, so whatever, but I accepted baby Yoda doing it. And I think the way they handled it with him, um, you know, uh, curing grief or curing, curing, um, grief, grief uh, the poison that was in his body. That was dope. Um, so then, yeah, so grief decides after that, you know, he can't, he, it was revealed that grief had an ulterior motive as we kind of all knew all along that he was going to betray Mando. So, but after being healed by baby Yoda grief says, nah, I can't, you know, I can't go along with that. He kills the other two bounty hunters, him and Mando and Kara hash a plan to get into town, um, send Quill back to the ship with the bait, with baby Yoda, but use the, um, the pram, the floating pram as a, uh, to it's fool a the client into mm-hmm. thinking that the baby is in there just to get, you know, Mando close enough to the client so he can kill him. Um, which they do. They get very close to the client, uh, Warner Herzog has some more of his great dialogue, um, inviting them to have libations, um, to end their shared narrative and all this type mm-hmm. of kind of mm-hmm. grand, um, speak that, that Herzog does, which I love. Um, and then guess what? Some mm. other shit jumps off. He gets a call transmission. Who's on the other end of the transmission? My man bugging out. But um, we are we are back on program. Back on program. That's what he texted me when he was watching. He's like, "We back on program." Moff Gideon shows up. Arthur's happy. 
Um, so Gideon shows up and he didn't just show up. He shows up. Yeah, he shows up. Well, you see the transmission first. You see the transmission. Okay, okay. You see the transmission. So he's he see his transmission. He basically asks the client, who is his underling. He asks the client, "Yo, you got the baby yet?" Client's Mm -hmm. like, "Yeah, he's right here. He's you know he's sleeping." And somehow, Gideon knows that the client that the you know that the baby ain't in there. I don't know how, but he knows the baby is not in there. Right. Um, and he says, you know, look again. I think you need to look again before the client can go look again. Gideon orders. We find out Gideon has ordered his his people to go ahead and open fire. So they kill the client, kill all the stormtroopers in there, almost kill um, grief, um, Mando and Kara. But they seek cover uh, cover. And then you it's revealed. We get a look outside of the place that the structure they're in. Mm-hmm. And you see all these death, these death troopers. We haven't seen death troopers since Rogue One. Yeah. Um, all these death troopers show up backed up by stormtroopers, but it's the death troopers who open fire. Then this tie fighter shows up, um, lands with the folding wings, which I don't think we've seen before. Gideon gets out and top three greatest star Wars flex moves ever. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Let me ask you this ever on that, on that list is Yoda walking into the room, um, in revenge of the Sith and just barely moving his head and knocking those two guards unconscious before he before he goes up against the emperor is that on that list as well because that's on my list that's top that's top five okay all right all right that's on my list okay so anyway when gideon gets off and he he basically announces to um mando and his crew um listen i know the baby ain't in there i'm about to have that baby in a minute um because we see uh you know we get another shot of the two stormtroopers taking off on the speeder bikes to go after quill so he's like, yo, I'm about to have that baby in a minute. That baby means more to me than you can ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, you can come out now or I'm going to come in there and kill you. Um, and there's this tension that just begins build up because we're cutting from shot to shot. We're cutting from um, Gideon back to the stormtroopers chasing Quill, back to Gideon, mm-hmm. back to Quill. Mm-hmm. It's just like, and then Mando is on the mic on his, um, the comm link, you know, you know, Quill, Quill, come in, you know, come in. Like, you know, do you have the baby safe? Is he back in the ship? Right, right. And then it happens. We see Baby Yoda laying on the ground, wrapped up in his little sheet or whatever. Stormtrooper, sweet uh, speeder bike trooper comes by, grabs him off the ground, takes off. Camera pans over, and we see my man Quill laid out. Apparently, we we think he's dead. We're assuming he's dead, um, mm-hmm. but you know it gets confirmed early on in Chapter Eight that yeah, he's dead. Um, and that's the end of the episode. So. Very quickly before we get into chapter eight, my thoughts on this episode. I thought this was a phenomenal episode. I thought it I wasn't as thrown off by the previous three as everybody else. I think a lot of people were as far as them not being tied to the overall mythology of the show mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in, a, in a in a direct manner. But I did feel that, OK, this this fulfilled what I thought was going to happen. I thought seven and eight. We we're going to get right back on track like to your to use your words. And jump right back in the um, the big mythology of the show and, and get a conclusion to the season. So I thought they handled everything brilliantly. Yeah, I um, this 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 episode um, was my my favorite in the series, mm-hmm. and partly because yes, we got back on program, um, but it had the it had the tension that was shared in Rogue One. Mm. Okay. The entrance, the entrance of Krennic with the Death Troopers, uh, one of the greatest flexes in Star Wars. <laughs> um, 
the 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 shot that wasn't included in Rogue One of the Tie Fighter um, closing in on Jin. Right, right. Yeah, the re- the you know that reminded scene. me of that was a vivid reminder of when of when um, um, Gideon shows up. Um, but also the this is the first time that the baby is the child is is in straight up peril. Mm-hmm. He's on the ground. You don't know if he was alive or dead. You just know he's a bundle. Right. And it it's it the tide has completely turned and there's one episode left in the season. Mm-hmm. So it's it's true cliffhanger moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we haven't had a cliffhanger mm-hmm. until now. Right. Uh, I thought it, I thought it was very very well executed. Mm-hmm. So and directed and I by, believe um, I believe Deborah Chow directed this yeah, one Deborah also, Chow, right? Deborah Chow directed this. So this is the second one she directed chapter 3. And she directed this one, the script. It was written by John Favreau. Um, so he returns because chapter five was written by Filoni. Mm-hmm. Chapter six, um, what episode was that? That was that was written by Rick Famuyiwa, and I think um, Christopher Yost, I think, wrote that. And then, yeah, so then chapter seven, you see... Um, Favreau return to write this yeah. um, and you feel I mean, it man you feel, you feel the you really do it, you know it was an excellent example of the you know the power of the empire even 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 in disarray mm-hmm. I mean in five minutes Gideon slowed everything down mm-hmm. well notice that the clients the troopers that were guarding the client had that jacked up armor looked like they hadn't bathed in months right um, you know so it was clearly a matter of fact the toy line that's coming out I think I just saw something on Twitter those troopers are being called remnant r-e-m-n-a-n-t remnant stormtroopers um so these are the remnants of the empire you know literally but then when gideon shows up his 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 cats are clean like they they shiny shiny. he's got a tie fighter like if he's got a tie fighter he's got a destroyer he's got because because these are short range planes right i didn't think about that right i didn't think about that so he's it's for gideon it's like it's you know 10 years ago height of the empire everything's right. smooth you know what i'm saying right palpatine and vader is running things and you know the death troopers are looking are looking slick it's it was a completely different feel so yeah it does make you to your point what does he got out there you know how did he what's how's he because we know that certain certain of these imp, um imperial warlords as they're being called mm-hmm. um are hanging on to certain you know power because of their what they what they mm-hmm. still have the the out in the outer realm you know not in you the know, core of the galaxy but in the and it also realm. made me wonder why the child is so important. Yeah, we yeah that's yeah we'll get to that. We'll Which to you that. had so, not had an indication of since episode three, since chapter three. So let's 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 get into chapter eight real quickly. Give me give me some chapter eight, and then we'll dive into that really quickly. Okay, so <clears throat> it picks off because yeah, so we it, 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 last thing we saw in chapter seven was Quill laying on the ground. So and we know Mando, and then we're still in the buildings in the classic Western type standoff. Yeah. So we open up with chapter uh, with chapter eight, uh, titled "Redemption." Um, it opens up with the two troopers who picked up the child, um, played by uh, Jason Sudeikis and uh, Adam Polly, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a longer sequence where they're having a conversation on the outskirts of town, mm-hmm. and um, they're waiting for clearance to bring the child to Gideon. Mm-hmm. But there's a holdup because Gideon's pissed off. He's killing. He, 
he's killing people that are interrupting him. <laughs> right. They don't, you know, I don't, they don't know what's going on yet. And Sudeikis has the child in a, in a, in a saddlebag. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other trooper wants to see him. Sudeikis won't let him. Child's making noise. Sudeikis is actually hitting the child. Mm-hmm. You know, shut up, shut up. Right. Which was a cringe, cringe worthy moment. Cause you like, you don't yeah. want to see no I hit baby. You don't want to see anybody like, like that. My wife was watching the show and Joy was she was pissed off. She was getting mad. Because <laughs> child was coming out. And the, and the child. <laughs> she had to force choke some stormtroopers. <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden, IG eleven shows up. Right. The nurse, the protector. The protector. And I remembered that he was in play because he was told by Mando, stay on the ship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so he comes and he, 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 he wants the troopers to hand the child over to him. They won't do it. And IG-11 goes IG-11 on him. <laughs> right. That tiger didn't go crazy. That tiger and went it, it wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't playing with it. Now, right. now, now, what I thought he was going to do was go back to the ship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but IG-11 straps on the yeah. child, jumps on the speed that's not destroyed because he slammed the stormtrooper into it <laughs> mm-hmm. and goes to ambush the town to get everybody out which says that when quill programmed quill programmed him to protect because he remember he said he told mando in chapter seven i can he's 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 a nurse you know he's in the nursing mode or you know or the caretaker of the the farm the blurred farm but right. i can reprogram him to nurse and protect the baby mm-hmm. so and you know mando's like nah i don't need Bob. but you know obviously that's what quill did because you know he's nursing and protecting the baby, but it also suggests that he pro- quill programmed him to protect Mando, the Mando as well. Yeah, because um, why and else? Party. Would, why else would IG Eleven go into the town? That's right. He went. Right. That's right. <laughs> it gets to the town and he's just yeah, it's same setup in chapter one. Um, <laughs> you know his 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 body his body pit. The child strapped to his front. His body pivots to the rear to protect the child. He, right. He's taking he's taking all the fire in the front. Mm-hmm. It rallies Mando and and, and Kara and um, grief too. Even though I don't, he's not a bad shot actually. Now, grief, um, is, grief grief has mad skills. Grief though, what was funny to me in that scene was seeing grief take that last drink. Like he he had found some alcohol. He uh-huh. took a couple. He, he took a couple shots. Then right before the action really jumps off, he makes sure he gets one more drink. And I right. said Apollo is a trip. Apollo right. is wild. But let me say this because I'm jumping ahead. Um, between the retrieval of the child by IG11 mm-hmm. and him coming back to the town to ambush, or at least arriving to the town to ambush, um, Gideon has a. Um, oh yeah, Gideon unpacks a, 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 a weapon. E-web. E-web, yeah, yeah. Gideon has an E-Web set up, which is a is a heavy laser cannon, mm-hmm. uh, a repeating cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also reveals the identity of he knows everybody in the room. Mm. He reveals oh, yeah. the big I, moment, big moment. He reveals the identity of the Mandalorian, uh, Din Djarin. Mm-hmm. Of the um, what's the, what does he say? He says he's of the disgraced or no? Grief is a disgraced magistrate. That's correct. Right. That's correct. And Kara is actually Kara Cynthia, Kara Cynthia Dune, and mm-hmm. she's from Alderaan. Yes. Yeah, so, okay, hold on. Stop. So this is what I so was So he's naming to. people in the room. Right. This is what I was alluding to in chapter 7 when 
Kara Kara, I'm not sure how you say her name. I think it's Kara. When Kara says, you know, agree so quickly with the Mandalorian to go after, once it's revealed to her that he's going after Imperials, she's like, boom, right. I'm, I'm down. It kind of made sense. But now in chapter eight, when you see, find out she's from Alderaan, oh, <laughs> they mm-hmm. destroyed her whole planet. You know what I'm saying? They killed her. Right. They destroyed her entire planet. That makes sense. That it may explain why she joined, you know, the resistance, why she joined the revolution. To begin with, that's right. To begin with. Yeah. And also her hatred for the Empire, it must you know, we can't we can't even understand how deep that must be. Yeah. So that was be- that was the deep moment. And because of this, the Mandalorian knows who Gideon is mm-hmm. because the only way for Gideon to even have that information would be if he was ISB, which is the Empire's secret police mm-hmm. that led the raids on Mandalore that ultimately led to the Great Purge, the mm-hmm. Thousand Night of Tears, uh, the Night of the, Th- the Night of a Thousand Tears, mm-hmm. and drove the Mandalorians underground to hide. So essentially, Moff Gideon is a Stasi officer. If we're looking at this from the um, <clears throat> the perspective of a uh, German's post. Um, uh, East East Germany post World War Two, mm-hmm. um, the ISP is kind of like the Stasi, so the secret police, as you said. Um, so the, yeah, it leads to this Great Purge thing, man, which I guess we're going to find out more about and really understand what happened during the Great Purge. I mean, we can assume obviously that a bunch of Mandalorians were killed, um, but it also suggests when, you know, in, in Chapter Seven, when the client, you know, once again says to the Mandalorian, you know, your people would have, everything would have been cool basically if your people just would have went along with what the Empire wanted. Instead, right. we had the Great Purge, right. um, which is why there's not many of you around anymore. It alludes to the fact that the Mandalorians as a people, there's a lot of parallels here between them as a people and, you know, maybe Klingon or Samurai or any other, you know, warrior mm-hmm. kind of noble race mm-hmm. um, and they wouldn't succumb. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And basically that led to this great purge. And I guess probably maybe in season two, we'll learn even more about that. Um, but yeah, yep. that was, that was a, that was a dope moment. All those reveals were crazy to get that quickly. And it felt very natural and not forced in. Um, it mm-hmm. felt very natural. And we also get the completion of his flashbacks, mm-hmm. Mando's flashbacks mm-hmm. that when he was a child, his planet was under attack. He was hidden. A battle droid discovered him. The battle droid was destroyed by a Mandalorian. The Mandalorians rolled in, mm-hmm. dope, saved Jin, liberated him, and that was how he was accepted and raised on Mandalore. Musically, I thought about you when I first watched that scene because I know that you, you, you know, you've hit me to the soundtracks, and I've been listening to them ever since on Spotify um, every week, but. That scene in particular, man, you hear that music that plays when, you know, the Mando's parents are putting him in that, you know, that that shed or whatever. Doors close, doors open up and, you know, that battle droid is about to kill him. And then when he gets the battle droid gets taken out, there's a pause. And then that before that Mandalorian walks into the the frame and the music shifts into that kind of I don't know if it's a guitar, I don't know what it is, but it's like a rock moment. It's like, okay. That's is you can feel little Din Djarin saying his head right now. That's who I want to be. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. this cat right here. I don't know anything mm-hmm. about him. I don't know they what just he landed is, on these but, these jetpacks. Right? He's handed. He just killed this dude. He's he, you know he's reaching out to me. You know that music said 
here come here come here come them dudes you've been waiting to see you know here come here come the good guys now here come the bad here come the good guys and here come the cats is going to take all these battle droids out you know here come the warriors so that was a dope scene to see all those mandalorians and that mm-hmm. you know in that in that one space um similar to chapter three but even better i think because there's so many more of them um so okay so what happens after that so what leads up to a really really brilliant moment uh in the whole series um ig11 shows up he's ambushing car grief and mando come out of the building that they're in they start lighting it up too um gideon uh <laughs> oh so mando jumped this mando jumps on the e-web mm-hmm. starts lighting people up in the same manner that he did in chapter two to liberate or to get the asset chapter one yeah yeah he jumped on oh that, chapter that, one that, thank that, you uh, chapter one yeah yeah gideon is smart enough to fire at the source the energy source mm-hmm. for the cannon mm-hmm. which blows mando off of the cannon injures him terribly Kara mm-hmm. drags him back in and she mando and car and 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 carga mm-hmm. go back in for refuge so gideon kind of equalizes the situation right and then sends, gets power uh, the fire dude in there and sends the fire dude in there to burn them out mm-hmm. which to me at that moment i was actually a little like hold up did he let the fire guy know i need that baby alive because <laughs> fire dude comes in there and just like lights it up like literally had the had not had the baby had baby yoda not done what he he does next i would have like yo he he almost burned everybody up you yes, know, so yeah. i'm wondering if gideon told dude hey hey just scare them and get them out you know don't mm-hmm. don't burn everybody up especially not that little creature but as the uh as the flame floor enters the room baby yoda uses uses his force power redirects the flame right back to its source Mm-hmm. Burns up, oh boy! Now they have a chance to escape through a, su- a vent that leads to the sewers underneath right. the city. The man, uh, the Mandalorian, gives instructions. He's badly, badly injured. He's mortally wounded, mm-hmm. and he's telling them to go. Do not take me. Let me die a warrior's death. Don't help me. Which is a part I really, I, I really love that when he tells her let me have a warrior's death. And the reason is because it, it harkens back to something I'll talk about a little bit later or chapter two, when he does something very similar, but that sense of nobility and honor that's in him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a Mandalorian trait, part of his creed, something um, they aspire to. Right. Right. And part of what, um, part of what Quill stood for as well. Um, it really resonates. I think if it's, it's a good feeling and a good tone for this show when mm-hmm. that happens, when he tells her, you know, take care of the child. Let me have a warrior's death. Um, mm-hmm. And you see the emotion. Now, I got to give Gina Carano, you know, there's been a lot said about, you know, she's talked about how she's not a natural actor and she didn't come into this as an actor, blah, blah, blah. But she does, there's some moments where she does very well. And, you know, the emotion that, cause she does not want to leave him. You know, they are, they are comrades. There's an attachment. There's an emotional attachment, attachment that happens. Right. Even a, as comrades, but yes. Yeah. Right. And so she's like, no, and she's pleading with him. And so for him to say that to her and you can tell she gets it, but she still doesn't mm-hmm. want to leave him. Um, and so they turn and then my man steps in. <laughs> IG 11. Right. IG 11. How about, how about real quickly? So. How about when IG 11 lets, lets uh, grief know 
he puts the baby down. He tells grief, if you go no near this child, I have no no I have no uh, recourse but to kill you. Uh-huh. And grief was like, all right, cool. Can you open nope. this door? You know? <laughs> Hilarious. Um, so yeah, so IG Eleven steps in and, and what tells yeah. them to go right. He tells them to go. IG Eleven stays behind with 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 Mandalorian and tells him that he can he can heal him. He can give him a bomb that mm. can heal yes, him. The, yes, the. Uh, the Bacta spray. The Bacta is, spray. Is that now? Is the Bacta? That's the same stuff that Luke was healing in, and and yeah, uh, it. And Empire was it Empire? That's right. Yeah, no, Empire. yeah, it was Empire after he was found. Uh, uh, after Han found him. Right, right. So then now they've put this in a little bottle, like it's a carry-on Bacta spray. So he heals and him. Oh, he so heals him, but how does he heal him though? Yeah, so he goes. Ig Eleven goes to remove his helmet. And Mando raises his blaster at him, and and he's like, "I'm I will I will kill you if you try to take this take this helmet off me." No human has ever seen my face. Mm. No live, yeah, no living creature, yeah. No living creature, yeah. No living creature has ever seen my face. And uh, IG Eleven says, "I am not I am not a living creature." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we get the reveal. Mm-hmm. Right. And what's great about the reveal is that it's long enough that you get a clear view of 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 Pedro the actor mm-hmm. Pedro Pascal mm-hmm. you see his face you know he's sweaty right. he's cut Clean. up yeah you know and he's 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 he, he doesn't look vicious he looks like a nice guy he looks yeah, he looks like somebody that's about to die he looks hurt <laughs> yeah he looks wore out he looks hurt yeah it's not like you took it off and you get this scowling you know hardcore you know razor cut face you get you know, or chiseled face, you get a, a cat who looks like he's on his last leg. Like he's mm-hmm. about to, he's about to expire. Um, and, uh, anyway, he gets the back to spray, you know, he's healed. Mm-hmm. But what, but I, I was saying that though, I like that it's enough time that you know what he looks like, mm-hmm. but not enough time that you can, vividly retain what he looks like you know right, what i'm saying right they don't it's not like he takes the helmet off and then he's he has it off for the rest of the episode it's yeah. like now he hit him with the spray helmet goes back on right yeah. so anyway now we're in the sewers they're looking for the mandalorian cove mm-hmm. the coven mm-hmm. and they see a pile of empty mandalorian helmets mm. that was that was whew, that was a that was a heavy a moment. large pile, a large pile. <laughs> that was a heavy moment. And man, and Mando re- realizes that this is, his people have been taken out. Right. As a result of what happened in chapter three, you know, they revealed mm-hmm. themselves. They had been hiding in those. They had that covert. I think they called it in the uh, tunnels, hiding themselves. And so, yeah, chapter three, when they revealed themselves, there, there was constant there were repercussions. That's right. And um, they come across the armorer. And she is collecting these helmets. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the, apparently she's the only one. Well, she's the only one that's there, and she's unsure if everyone escaped. Mm-hmm. How many so, escaped? Yeah. Yeah. So for all she knows, at this point, it's just her and the and and Mando, whom she's just encountered. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at that point, um, they're trying to get an escape plan together. And they end up going back to um, uh, the armory itself. Right. And so that 
she he Mandalorian can can uh you know rearmor, get some more stuff together. Um and we get some more great exposition here that's naturally relayed to us where the armor is like um you know who, who is this the child is this the one that you you know you went back and saved is this one that all this mess is about basically um which is kind of it, it mirrored what quill had asked earlier in um i think chapter two um quill had asked what is this what all the fuss is about is this little baby and so and then he reveals remember she says to him you know he looks helpless and then the mando says something like he can move things with his mind that's um, right. Move something, and she's and this and this see, this is this is what I'm saying. This is good exposition here because it feels natural. When the armor then says, I don't know, I don't know the exact line. You may, you may have written it down, but she says something like, you know, I know of such things. You know, we the Mandalorian race or the Mandalorian great race or something. We used to fight against an order of sorcerers who called themselves the Jedi. Right. That's what I remember. Right, you text me. You text me. You said you had the same thought I had. You text me, said, I'm glad they didn't say the force. Yep. They didn't use the word the force. Yep. In all these episodes, we have not heard the word force. Mm. She just said and, sorcerers called the Jedi. So we did hear the word Jedi, but that's cool. Right. But we heard they regarded them as sorcerers because they really didn't know how they were. They didn't understand. Maybe they don't understand the force or maybe as these rumors have been or these legends have been passed down they become, you know, not as substantive as they were before. So that, you know, they're, they're called sorcerers. And, um, she puts, she gives him his signet finally, which turn which looked like to be the signet of the Mudhorn. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was dope because that's what, um, bonded after, after Mando tells her the story of everything mm-hmm. and says, listen, this is, you know, this is what happened. The baby saved my life. Um, this, and you know, this, that, and the third, she bonds them together as a clan. You know, you're a clan of two. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically says, you know, and this, I guess this is what's interesting to me about this show is again, like I said before the world building. So now we're getting deep into the creed of the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And we learned a lot about, you know, when, when the Mando reveals early in that scene earlier that um, Mandalorian is not a race. It's a creed. Um, when he tells Karga, you know, listen, I wasn't born on Mandalore. Um, and, and Karga is like, oh, I thought you, you know, you're a Mandalorian. He's like, well, Kara's like, it's not a, it's not a race. And Mando's like, yes, yeah, a creed. Um, and I put, I posted on my Twitter. There's a great uh, gif going around where it was like, when he said it's a creed, um, Karga thought he said, I'm a creed. <laughs> 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 and Apollo looked at him like, huh? So yeah, but I posted on Twitter. It was hilarious. But anyway, um, that it's just world building, man. It's just more and more world building. So we see, you know, the armor basically tell him like, look, this baby is a foundling, just like you mm-hmm. were, mm-hmm. you know, and according to our creed, you either have to train it as one of us or return it to his people. You're right. And that's, and then she forms and makes them a clan of two. And you kind of get the sense, okay, here's what next season is going to be about. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of, it got laid out to us like, okay, he's definitely going to go try to find this race of Yodas, you know, which we know nothing about. Um, so and I've really got to hand it to Pedro Pascal and, uh, and Emily Swallow who plays the armorer. I mean, they're able to, they're able to convey this conversation with the depth and emotion of the situation in masks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something I want to touch on after we get through here is that um, the, the voice, the quality of voice and the, the, 
the impact of voiceover in this this show and the in mm-hmm. the the importance of it. But go ahead. I'm sorry. So what happens? She gives him. I know she gives him the the uh, backpack. The uh, for lack of a better term, the jetpack. Yeah, she gives him a jetpack, which he which he's which he's wanted for a long time. Uh, he's only had a little bit of training that he re- he revealed to her. He's only had a little bit of training with it, and um, she says something that you know at a certain point he has the it will respond to him like mm-hmm. he can control it, um, and then sends them on their way. And so they go to an underground lava river. Mm-hmm. Um, and meanwhile, a squad of maybe five, I think there were five stormtroopers <laughs> that come upon the armorer who she is, she is kneeling in front of her forge uh, with her two metal tools mm-hmm. crossed in front of her. She's kneeling and, you know, they're telling where did they go? Where are they? Where are they? And she just activates and breaks off every last <laughs> one of them in the one of the roughest just hand to hand i mean no blaster she's just hand to hand breaking mm-hmm. these people apart mm-hmm. it's it's just really good cor- maybe, it's really good fight choreography maybe the best actual hand to hand fight sequence in the entire in the series so far you know i know we've had a couple we've had some good ones we had the in chapter 2 mando versus them two them two bounty hunters uh kara mm-hmm. versus mando but that Man, when she broke, when the armor broke that that one stormtrooper's mask, and they it slowed for a second, and just you felt the crack, you know, you felt the plastic flying. Um, and then when she, the one fell on the ground, and she just took the hammer and was like, "Uh, man, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that was top notch, top notch." So, um, the goal is to take this underground pa- lava passage, and they're on a barge that is piloted by an R2 unit that has legs. This thing, it's like- Yeah, it's tall, yeah. And it is the driver of this barge. And um, I think it was, I think it was Mando that was able to scan the opening of this uh, of this cave to see that it was being flanked by stormtroopers. Right. That it was really a trap. Um, and IG, Decide IG-11 decides that he is going to self-destruct. He's going to go into his self-destruction protocol because he cannot be captured. Right. Great callback to uh, episode one where it was played for a comedic effect. Um, and, and here it has a whole lot of emotional weight. And and at this point, the Mandalorian doesn't want him to leave. Yeah. He what doesn't want him to sacrifice himself. Really poignant scene, man. Really poignant scene because Mandalorian hates droids. He can't stand yeah. droids. Um, has a really deep almost a phobia you know associated because of the trauma um the childhood trauma and maybe there's some other trauma that we don't know about yet Mm -hmm. um but that trauma that he's experienced throughout this series has shown that he really and 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 characters a lot of characters in the show constantly ask him like what is your deal with droids you know Kara just demands like what the hell is up with you and these droids so for him to be standing in front of ig11 like no you're not going to self-destruct we're going to figure a way out of this you know, mm-hmm. um, we are going to figure out another way out of this. In the first episode, it was played for comedic effect where he was like, you know, no, motherfucker, don't blow up. Shoot, you're going to blow me up. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, right. just chill. Just we'll wait a figure- minute. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> we'll, figure, we'll figure a way out of this. Here it was played as I don't want you to die. You know, mm-hmm. and I felt that some of the Mandalorian's loneliness, you know, as being, you know, and, and being in the world by himself. Um, and the few connections he has, you know, he holds on to those. 
um, whether it's with, you know, the few, the other few Mandalorians left or it's with, um, you know, baby Yoda, or in this case, IG 11, who I also, also feel like some of that was that IG 11 was Quill's like last major thing. And it was like, I think Mando felt that like, you know, he felt that connection to Quill as well. Um, and Quill just got killed. So it's like, no, you're not dying too. And Mm -hmm. It was really a poignant scene, man. Especially what did what did IG because IG Eleven calls him out, calls him out, basically tells tells him, doesn't he? Like, I know you're sad, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's like I scanned. I'm a, I'm a nurse. I'm a nurse droid, and I, I scanned your uh, I scanned your face. Oh yeah, your, I voice, your, emotion, your voice. Your, yeah, I can your tell voice. Your voice. Yeah, yeah. Because he basically says, you know, I'm not alive, and don't worry about it. I've never been alive, so it really doesn't matter if I die mm-hmm. or self destruct. I fulfill my purpose. I fulfill my purpose, right? And yeah. he says, tells Amanda, don't be sad. And Amanda, of course, is like, I'm not sad, you know, trying to be hard. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, you are sad. I, I just scanned your voice. <laughs> um, really a, a just, you know, poignant scene, man, and very um, an emotional scene. Um, so, yeah, so IG-11. And you know what? When I played, I played it back this morning. Um, I didn't get to see the whole episode again, but I played that part back. And when he steps, when IG-11 gets out of the boat and steps into that lava, grief even yells ig you know what are you doing you know don't do it or whatever he says mm-hmm. um which is interesting to me but um yeah so he 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 gets out the boat and goes and does his thing um and that's when uh they're able to make it all the way through uh and um gideon shows up in his tie fighter mm. and starts firing on him mm. mando mustered up all that training he had with that jetpack and flew up and so he flies up atta- and attaches himself to the TIE fighter, is able to, after two attempts, is able to attach a couple of bombs mm-hmm. on one of the wings, releases himself to get away. The wing blows, Gideon crashes. Presumably, it's, presumed dead. It's presumed dead. So Gideon's out of the picture and um, the friends separate. Uh, mm-hmm. Kara decides to stay. On Navarro, uh, on Navarro with with um, with Grief Karga, and um, Mando goes to take the child and to start his charge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Find out where he lives, and the great the closing shot is with with closing shot of them leaving, them separating, is Mando flying up, and you get the point of view of Baby Yoda looking over his shoulder down mm. at Car and Grief, which is similar to the same shot of the Mandalorian that saved him as oh, a boy. Oh, man, I didn't even get that. I didn't even connect that. Wow. It's the same shot. Wow. That's, that's as a good the boy call. Looks. I, didn't, I didn't even connect that. Yeah, you're right. So wow. you've got these parallels that happen, mm-hmm. which are really which are really nice. And they're not, yeah, because you can miss them. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot that you can, that you can miss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you discover it, it's, it's, just, it's just tasteful. Yeah, it impacts. You it know? brings more impact to it, right? Yeah. So and what's the then, final uh, scene though? Flex, 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 <laughs> flex. flex. Another flex moment <laughs> on Arthur's list. Star Wars flex moment. Um, we pan down on the wreckage of the Tie Fighter and their Jawas mm. already there, starting to scavenge. <laughs> and um, you all of a sudden see on the side panel of the main unit of the ship, mm-hmm. just this laser start to cut a large hole. And you know it's grief trying to get out. He kicks the door. Moff Gideon. He's, yeah. Uh, thank you, Moff Gideon. Gideon steps out and steps on top of the ship, 
and he's holding the dark saber. The dark saber. The motherfucking the mud scuffing dark saber. The dark now, saber. When he was, you know, when they panned to the first of all, I knew when the ship went down, I knew he wasn't dead, and I was actually right. kind of because there was no up. explosion. What'd you say? There was no. There was no. There was no explosion. Right, and I was slightly annoyed that. We, you know, I feel like if I was going to be nitpicky, I feel like the Mandalorian would have went and checked. You know what I'm saying? If you know, mm-hmm. he would have went and checked to make sure this cat's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I knew he wasn't dead, and I knew when they panned over there and we see the Jawas, I'm like, okay, this is going to be you know Gideon getting out the ship. Never did I expect for that dark saber to cut through that. When I saw it poke through, uh-huh. I almost, I almost called you. You know what I'm saying? I almost, <laughs> But I knew you hadn't seen the episode yet. So I, I was like, okay, chill, chill, chill. But I was like, that Darksaber poked through. And I said, oh, shit. I said out loud, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. It's the Darksaber. And now here's the thing, though, Arthur. I have not, again, I'm, 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 I'm going through uh, Rebels right now. So yeah. I know that there's some Darksaber stuff that happens at the end of Rebels that I haven't gotten to. But I'm aware of Darksaber, you know, lore because I, I watched the Clone Wars. Right. So for anybody who's listening, who knows nothing about Mandalorian culture, didn't see the Clone Wars, didn't see Rebels and is, you know, watched the end of the Mandalorian and is wondering why it's such a big deal. First of all, I would encourage you to go watch Clone Wars and go watch um, uh, Rebels, not just for the Mandalorian stuff, but for all, many reasons. But, you know, you I still feel like people who didn't know what that was they still kind of got something out of that scene because the dude is holding what looks like a black lightsaber and it's like what the Mm -hmm. hell i thought he was a you know it's like there's still some questions that get brought out even if you have no idea what the dark saber is Mm -hmm. if you know what the dark saber is now you know this cat was on some not only was he involved with the great purge he did some nefarious things with the great Mm -hmm. purge and now once the man once you you it's almost like building up the conflict that we're going to get between him and the mandalorian in season two it just escalated to a whole nother level and the dark saber has has great significance to mandalorian culture right it was it was created uh at least a thousand years before the time of any of this by a mandalorian named tar bizla Mm-hmm. who was the first and, and, and only known Mandalorian to be inducted into the Jedi Order. Mm. So there was, a, at one time, there was a connection with the Jedi and the Mandalorian. Mm. And this dark and this uh, Darksaber, uh, after Vizsla's death, was actually stored as a relic in a Jedi temple that was later raided and this Darksaber was stolen. So it's, it's past hands, Mm-hmm. A lot, mm-hmm. but the the takeaway is that whoever's got the saber, right. it's the heart of value. their culture, and, you know, and it's it's it. a symbol of the true leader of the Mandalorians, right? So like if you've got it, this, <laughs> to yeah. see it in a moth's hands was like, oh no, like that's gonna be that's gonna be mad problems in season two, um, and it also makes me think that at some point we may see the Mandalorian himself, we may see Din Djarin holding that, you know, that dark saber at some point. See, yeah, it kind of, it sets up some interesting things because um, Gideon still wants that child. We don't know why. I thought it was because he was part of the program to resurrect Palpatine. Mm, okay, so you thought that was going to come to play in Rise of Skywalker, right? Okay, but that never, but 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 that but that never happened. So we Thank still God. that's still a big <laughs> oh yes, but there's still a big chunk as to why. Gideon specifically wants this child so badly. Right. Which um, I'm not, you know what? I don't have a problem with not knowing that at this point. I think that, I do think that we'll obviously we'll find out more about that in season two. 
I do think that the Mandalorian himself should be wondering that, you know what I'm saying? Like that's gotta be part of his quick. It can't be just about, I'm going to unite this child back with his people. Mm-hmm. I need to find out why so many people, why these, why they want him so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, my, you know, my, my feeling was that with, and this is, you know, this all, this is all taking place five years after um, return of the Jedi. So I thought now that the, you know, the empire has fallen um, and is shattered and you just got remnants of it all over the outer rim of the galaxy. I thought in order for them to rise again, in order for Gideon and whoever else to, to rise to power again, they know <clears throat> they're aware of Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. So they know mm-hmm. they need a power that's equal to his or greater than his um, in order for them to rise to power again, or else he will be able to just destroy them. So I thought that they, that's why they heard about this baby somehow. Mm-hmm. Maybe Yoda's race, maybe, you know, there's, I saw one theory online that said Yoda's race, maybe there's only one of them born every generation or something. So maybe there's just a few of these things out there. Mm-hmm. So maybe all of them are force sensitive or are very powerful because Yoda is more than force sensitive. Obviously he's one of the most powerful Jedi that ever lived. So right. maybe these, maybe these, you know, his race is just like that. So maybe this, the remnants of the empire learn about that and decide to find this baby and they want Pershing to clone this baby. So they have a mm-hmm. clone. They have a, a army of just these incredible Jedis. I don't know or, or whatever. So, I'm not I'm fine with not knowing that right now. There there was one problem I had with this episode though. Mm, Two problems. Okay. One one both of them are small. Um the first small one is that I didn't understand why once the stormtroopers have the baby, why did Gideon need um you know the Mandalorian Kara and grief? Why didn't he just, you know, shoot the place up? And why was it such a thing for the, you know, the stormtroopers to come back into the town with the baby? You know that I get the excuse. I get the reason they said, well, they wanted to just check with Gideon and make sure it's cool first. And right now he's kind of in a bad mood because he's just killing mm-hmm. people left and right. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if the whole thing is about the baby, I was like, yo, somebody needs to say we got the kid. You know, let's just blow up this, you know, uh, bar or whatever these people are hiding in. Why yeah. did he want them? You know, it felt like he wanted felt like he wanted them alive or something like that. So I didn't understand that. Cause, and even well, even the Mandalorian was like, well, if he had the baby. We, we'd already be dead so he must not have the baby but he did have the baby yeah I don't, it could be that the dark the dark saber by itself in other words he needs he needs the mandalorian because for some reason either there's something special about him because again he wasn't born on mandalore he was born we don't know where he was born we don't right. know where he came from right so was there something that gideon knows because he knows his name right yeah it wasn't like he memorized the records of every single you know, Mandalorian. Right. For some reason, he knows that spe- a specific Mandalorian's right. name. Um, so the only other complaint I have about this episode you know, so that could be a thing. Go ahead. Uh, no, no, I want to hear the second one. So the only other complaint I have about this episode is that the beginning. Mm-hmm. This episode was directed by Taika Waititi, and mm-hmm. yeah, I thought it was a very. I mean, you know, I'm a fan of Taika Waititi, but one thing about Taika's style in Ragnarok, um, Thor Ragnarok, that I felt kind of distracted from the film sometimes is that he reminded me, Taika reminds me of that that kid that's in class when you you when you're in school who's funny as hell, but every once in a while he just takes the joke too far. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. know when to stop. And so the beginning of this episode, I was cool with them slowing the action down because the last thing we saw in episode seven, chapter seven was that big, you know, quill on the ground, all that tension, you know, it was just dramatic. So I didn't mind chapter eight opening up with like a slowdown 
and you pan down onto these um, two storm to these two speeder bike troopers and they're just having a conversation. I didn't mind that. What I minded, though, is that the casual conversation they were having at some point felt too much like ad living and it took me out of the, the show. It felt yeah. like two it felt like two actors or two comedians who were ad libbing a scene. And I hate I hate to say this phrase because I, I don't I don't like it when other people say it, mm-hmm. but I'm just going to say it for lack of a better phrase. It didn't feel Star Wars to me. And mm-hmm. it felt like and I, the reason I hate yeah. saying that phrase, because I don't want to imply that Star Wars can't expand and we can't, you know, branch out into different tones and, and tonalities. But that particular scene felt like Taika Waititi, Taika, Taika Waititi putting his stamp on it to a degree that it really didn't need to be to happen that way. In other words, it was like he might as well said this is a take Taika Waititi directed episode and big block letters right at the beginning of the episode mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. let us know this is different than what you've seen before. I felt that's what that scene was doing. It was trying too hard. And to the point where one of the troopers says, um, cause the other guy's like, I want to see the baby open up and you, know, I want to see it. And they're having that little argument or whatever. Right. And one of the troopers sighs and goes, Oh my God. He said, Oh my God. And he I'm did. like, he said, oh my that God. ain't, that don't sound right in star Wars. You know what I'm saying? That, that just sounds like y'all are in, California in the desert somewhere shooting a Star Wars TV show. You know, yeah. it just it took me out of it and I didn't like that. So I feel that as good as this episode was, if you told me season two in terms of directors was just Deborah Chow, Rick Famuyiwa, and Dave Filoni in terms of directors, I'd be like, cool. That's all I need. Like I don't mm-hmm. need big I don't need Taika or any other, you know, quote unquote A list directors, you know, coming back. I feel like those three especially Deborah Child, Rick Famuyiwa, they got it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? They got it. So um, overall, though, man, I'll, I'll let you give your thoughts, but I was very satisfied with how this season ended. These Before we get into the, the show as, as a whole, those two episodes ended the show on a very satisfactory note. I did feel like the the moment when Mando shoots and when he, when he um, brings down the TIE fighter and he lands, it was very abrupt when grief just rolls up on him and says, okay, everything's cool now. Great job, Mando. Let's go back to business. It was just like really abrupt and the music changed. The, they were like the sun was setting behind them or something. It just felt like really abrupt shift in tone. I felt like we needed another beat in there to kind of absorb what just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I just, I was really happy with how this, how this season ended. What about you? Well, uh, I was, I, I would have actually preferred if Mando stumbled when he landed. Mm-hmm. Presumably, because you know it's much easier to take off than it is to land. <laughs> yeah, you land. He, you know, the armor said, you know, it's not going to obey your commands. Talking about the jetpack until you, you know, you train, you go through your drills. Yeah, 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 yeah. Though, That's what she said. Whatever training he did when he was young, maybe it was the adrenaline and the need to, you know, this was their last hope, basically. Um, but he he remembered his training and he handled it, you know, quickly. You know, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I was like, grief said, very impressive, very impressive. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that at all. So um, um, I'm wondering though if I'm wondering if in season two if they're going to do a both and scenario, meaning if if Mando is going to start to because first of all it'd be interesting to see how much time passes. Mm-hmm. If 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 the child will you know become the kid basically and age a little bit more mm-hmm. to the point where he's speaking. Mm-hmm. And and he begins training him right. while at the same time tries to find a way to reunite him right. with his people. 
If I had to guess, man, I would say he's not going to age much for two reasons. One, because he's 50 years old now. So let's say a year passes. He's probably not going to age that much. I'm I'm thinking only a few months are going to pass because mm-hmm. they, they're going to want to keep... Listen, the Baby Yoda thing blew up all over the world, all over the internet. I mean, it just to a level that I know that uh, Lucasfilm and Disney didn't expect. They probably knew mm-hmm. it was going to be cool, but mm-hmm. he's just like, like people love this thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. People love Baby Yoda. People who, you know, it's got people, you know, watching who probably aren't into Star Wars at all. You know what I'm saying? But they're like, I got to, you know, what the hell is I gotta Baby see Yoda this thing. stuff? Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Cause he's cute. The, the thing, you know, it's just like, it's cute period. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, one of the best things, one of the favorite things in chapter eight for me was when, IG eleven is is capping dudes left and right, and they show Yoda, baby Yoda is on his chest, gleefully laughing and cooing and just like loving <laughs> this shit. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> this is the greatest shit in the world. <laughs> He's killing all these stormtroopers. Um, so I don't think they're going to age him too much because they want to keep him a baby. You know what I'm saying? This is mm-hmm. this is mer- dude. This is better. They tried BB eight, um, Porgs. Uh, yeah. uh, what's the do? Whatever the hell the thing's name. Is. Everything they've tried. You know, I'm sure has sold very well for them, but nothing has captured cute the way Baby Yoda has. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't think point. they're gonna age him too much. So then, they'll, so then it makes sense that he would try to reunite him with his home world, right? Which, but I'm sure you know who knows what's going to happen. Um, you know, as he's doing that, I'm sure now, he's gonna. I think he's gonna end up probably going a little bit closer into the core. Um, and so maybe we'll get some more world building around what's going on with the New Republic. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some familiar characters that we've seen before might show up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, we know that Rex, Clone Trooper Rex, is out there because it was confirmed he was in Return of the Jedi. So that's only right. been five years. So he's right. probably aged another, you know, the 15 years. But he may, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a live action Rex. Um, so, yeah, who knows? Do you, do you think. Do you think that we'll find out where Yoda comes from? Do you think they'll give up that 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 whole card? I personally don't think so. Do you don't think so? Or you or you hope so? You hope not. I don't think they'll give that up. OK. Favreau seems to be very aware of canon mm-hmm. and canon says yeah, nobody knows where yoda's from right but is is it is is are he and feloni going to take it upon themselves to move this forward and finally give that reveal are they going to go to george lucas and say mm-hmm. look we want your blessing on this we know mm-hmm. how important it was for you not to reveal the race yoda's race but we mm-hmm. want to do some world building um, here's what we have in mind. That could Can be interesting. Your blessing? Even though we, they don't need his blessing, but would they ask him for that? Because, I mean, I have a theory that based on what I know about Yoda's history, probably doesn't pan out. Mm-hmm. But in Rebels, have you come across Bindu? No, no, I haven't seen him yet. Yeah, but I mean, but you certainly remember the, the, the Trinity, the father and the son and the daughter. Yeah, in Clone Wars. Right. right. So, th- you know, there's a concept of force beings mm-hmm. where there are beings that are effectively the manifestation of the force, the force, either right. the force itself or its attributes. Mm-hmm. And Yoda, his species, based on the child, mm-hmm. could be one of those beings. Mm-hmm. It would explain why at such an early age. He knows how to, he's got a high level of force ability. Right. You know, right. I mean, all, for him to lift the mud horn, 
We don't know what else he's done before, before you know, before Mandalorian. And he's getting he's getting more powerful because he lifted the mud horn and passed out for like you know hours. Right. He he um threw that fire back in chapter eight and only passed out momentarily. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's getting more powerful. Yeah, and so it's 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 a thing where now see Yoda was actually trained, right? So that kind of sort of put pokes a hole, you know, in my theory. But I, I, I don't think I'm like you. Well, I'm not. I guess I'm not like. Well, you. it would just explain why there are so few. Of me, it would explain why there are so few of these species, right? And it would explain why they're so valuable and so powerful. Yeah, I don't want to know any of that. I hope I, I'm. I'm kind of <laughs> thinking like you, though. I'm thinking they may go that route, uh-huh. but I don't want to know. You know, I I hope that this exploration, in order to unite Baby Yoda with his people, just gives us a lot of reveals as far as the state of the galaxy and maybe you know gently and very naturally introduces a jedi into this show um i'm not gonna say Mm -hmm. it's luke or Mm -hmm. leia or anybody but it maybe it brings a jedi onto the show at some point um so yeah anyway it'll be interesting but moving moving along into um this show you know i just want to do spend a few minutes kind of looking at the show as a whole um before we close out and before the show debuted let me ask you this before episode one of the Mandalorian debuted, what were your expectations, you know, um, back in, you know, October before, before the show actually dropped in November, what did you expect of the series? What did you expect or or think you were going to see? I I did think that we were going to get into older lore, like, you know, um, old Republic type lore coming to come into the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, because the Mandalorians are such an old, uh, even though they're not a race, I'm just gonna say you know race group of people right. that have real history. Um, I thought that it would be a good opportunity to put a lot of that story, mine, a lot of that backstory mm-hmm. that so far only the animated series have really gotten into, mm-hmm. um, in the films we've seen relics of. Mm-hmm. Well, let me say for me, I, like I'm, I'm with you. I was, I was with you early on, like early on when they first announced this, this series, I thought we were going to get, and a lot of people were saying the same thing, like Game of Thrones, you know, Star Wars, Game of Thrones. So like a lot of characters, um, deep lore, you know, um, old Republic, you know, reflected into the post return of the Jedi, you know, just, you know, like a, you know, very layered and uh, not sophisticated, but um what's the term um complex you know story mm-hmm. and but that that kind of got thrown on my my mind earlier because as soon as Favreau started talking about this series like and people was interviewing him and he started talking about you know the western samurai thing and the lone gunslinger then I said oh we're going to get Boba Fett that's what I thought and especially because it was it was kind of the rumor was or I don't know if it was confirmed, but that's what Favreau originally wanted to do. He wanted to do a Boba Fett movie or series. Mm-hmm. And Lucasfilm was like, nah, we ain't trying to do that. Mm-hmm. So I thought, OK, this Mandalorian is basically him being, you know, creating a character that's essentially Boba Fett, um, mm-hmm. but it's not Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. That's what I was expecting to get. So when this show debuts and I said this last show, remember, I was like F Boba Fett and not, you know, that I have some strong right. dislike for Boba Fett. But to me, what we got is a character that is definitely not Boba Fett. 
Right. Um, definitely not just some, you know, quote unquote, badass bounty hunter that's, you know, taking multiple people out every episode and just, you know, nobody can get with him because he's just so fly. We didn't get that. No, we got this layered story about this vulnerable character who happens to be very good at what he does, but is also very vulnerable emotionally, Mm -hmm. um, even though it's hidden under a lot of layers. And we got a character that's just so much more interesting to me than I would have ever thought. And it's definitely more interesting to me than Boba Fett is. Um, even the Boba Fett that we got in the Clone Wars animated series. Um, this Mandalorian, Din Djarin, is just much more um, compelling to me and much more, I feel a much a stronger connection to this character um, than I did to to Boba Fett. And, um, and, and, and to me, I was a little bit surprised. I'm not a you know, big John Favreau fan. I, you know, I know some of his work, but I was a little bit surprised at the soulfulness, um, the soulfulness of these stories, um, especially, you know, episodes one through three and uh, the last few episodes. There's just a there's just a soulfulness to this man that really resonates. And I think that um, not just Favreau's work, but Filoni's work and, you know, Deborah Chow, Rick Famuyiwa, even Dallas, um, what's her name? Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, there are some some scenes in episode four that I think touched on this as well we just got a show that I think is much better than what I expected. And even though it has its flaws, even though I have some complaints, I'm very excited about season two. Cause I think that there's just a lot of places that could take this, but let's, let's, you know, right now let's get into um, some things really quickly about the series as a whole. Was there anything like, as far as where this, this series, I don't want to say failed, but was there any things that you really, and if you don't, if you don't have them, that's cool. But was there anything overall that you felt like, mm, they should have done a better job of that, you know, overall with the series, whether it's the writing, the directing, the acting, anything. I mean, I think the writing is fairly consistent primarily because Farrow's doing a lot of the writing. Yeah. Um, he wrote, um, he, he wrote one, two, three, four, seven, and eight. Yeah. Who wrote six? Six was that, was that was the prisoner. That was um, Fama Yua and Christopher Yost. Okay, yeah. uh, I had a that was a that's the episode that I let I liked the least, even though I liked a lot of the shots mm-hmm. that were done. Unlike the aesthetic of the ship, mm-hmm. how it harkened back to A New Hope. Um, I liked the consistent um, uh, uh, way that they were that they mapped what the new republic it's like the real interest it's the first time that we see any inclination of what the new republic looks like mm-hmm. you know right yeah, problem I that, that i had with it that was pretty basic was um i just don't believe that the mandalorian that we had met and learned about up to that point and even after mm-hmm. you know would have left them alive Mm, yeah. After going through all that, all that fighting, mm. particularly, you know, Red Horn dude, mm. smashed him with two doors. <laughs> right, and then into, he's, he's still going to drag, yeah. you know, as heavy as he's got to be, he's got to take time to drag him mm. to a cell. <laughs> right. And he's on a clock because the Republic's, are, you know what I'm saying? It right. just doesn't. Just capped him and been done with it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I just think, I thought that those were, that was kind of an inconsistent. Um, uh, I just thought that was an inconsistent portrayal of the main character that could have been easily remedied. Well, let me let me list um, a, 
just one or two of the things. Oh, you have I a list? <laughs> yeah, I mean, not a list, not a long list, but just a couple of things that kind of bothered me about the series. I think they should, could have done a little better job of. Um, and then I just want to get into the characters really quickly, and then we can talk about our favorite episodes before we close out. Um, one thing that kind of got revealed early on to me as a rumor and then got confirmed by Bryce uh, Dallas Howard was that for a lot of the scenes, um, Pedro Pascal was not in the suit. You know, that he had two stunt guy body doubles or whatever, mm-hmm. who the three of them worked together, basically, um, <clears throat> excuse me, throughout the series so that they would mirror, you know, each other's movements and that you would think it was always the same, you know, Pedro in the suit. Mm-hmm. And so Bryce Dallas Howard um, mentioned that she didn't even work with Pedro during her episode, um, which was shocking to me. So I think that what bothered me about it wasn't the fact that or I should say what bothered me about it is the fact that he's listed as the, you know, the main star of the show, all the promotions over the last year, all the, the, um, at the star Wars celebration, all these things, it was him, Carl Weathers, you know, Gina Carano, mm-hmm. um, you know, as the three main leads, you know, of this, of this show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what they should have done if they were going to go this route, where a lot of times he's not in the suit was list him as the voice actor. You know, and then, you know, list the other guys, maybe second or third, you know, in the in the um, in the in the credits because they deserve credit because they were, you know, if you wore the suit from you know 90 percent of the episode, um, mm-hmm. a lot of what we're getting because we never see his face or we don't see his face up until chapter eight. A lot of the acting that we're getting from him, you know, is conveying the emotion that needs to be conveyed. So if that's being done by someone physical. else. Yeah, I think that's very be, physical. Right. That should be credited. So his voice though let me just talk about his voice for a minute and this is one this is the reason why i think pedro pascal even though i have an issue the issue that i just laid out i think he's perfect for this role because his voice um the mandalorian's voice is both strong and vulnerable at the same time next time you're watching that mm-hmm. really listen to his voice man it has a timbre to it uh, i don't know if i'm saying that wrong that word right but it has a timbre to it that is has that that kind of like um i don't you know for lack of a better term, masculinity that is befitting someone that, you know, goes around as a bounty hunter and, you know, does violent things all the time and tries to, you know, instill or be, or to be intimidating to other people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's the vulnerability in his voice that's necessary to carry the pain, the loneliness, the conflict that we get, that gets laid out over these eight, eight these eight episodes. So I like Pedro Pascal in that role. The only other complaint I have, man, about the series, um, I mean, there's other nitpicky stuff I can get to, you know, some other time. But really, the only other complaint is that I feel that for Favreau, one, like you said, he wrote, you know, he wrote the majority of the show. But I think he's going to have to keep his foot on the pedal a little bit more in season two. I think I, I believe in season one, he was also during the production of season one, he was also finishing editing uh, Lion King. You know, mm-hmm. so he was going from, you know, project to project. Um, I think Dave Filoni did as his, you know, as co-executive producer, I think Dave Filoni did an excellent job, but I think Filoni is still growing as a live action director, um, and writer. And so it's going to take a little bit more for him to get to where he needs to be. So I think Favreau is going to to keep his foot on the gas. But one thing I don't want to see in season two is a lot of Favreau's friends showing up as guest stars, because that was somewhat distracting to me in season one. Um, the guys at the end of chapter eight, the begin two cast at the beginning, the storm, the, the speeder troopers, they were comedians. Yeah. I'm assuming they're Favreau's friends. Um, 
in the prisoner episode uh i forgot the guy's name burke i think is his name but he played mayfeld um uh-huh. he was i didn't like him in that role and i think he's one of favreau's friends he just felt out of place to me mm-hmm. um i didn't mind amy sedaris i liked amy sedaris um although i think you know that wasn't a greatly a well a particularly well written episode episode five chapter five i didn't mind her but the kid who played um in chapter five uh kid who played toro um i forgot his name but i believe he's the The, uh the young bounty hunter right the han Han solo wannabe um i believe his father is a friend of favreau's and so jake cannavale is his name jake cannavale right and i think so overall i just felt that it was like for a while it just felt like all these guest stars are showing up Mm -hmm. because they you know this is favreau's crew and after a while, it started feeling like, I, you know, are you hiring the best people for these position for this particular role? Not to say that these people aren't good actors, but are you hiring the best person for this particular role? Yeah. Or are you finding roles for your, you know, for your crew to play? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that's something that, you know, needs to get rectified in, um, in season season two. Um, OK, so we're running, you know, we're running a little bit long here to, to say the least. So I want to get into um Get your thoughts on some of these characters. Who, let, let me ask you this. Who was your favorite character? I've already said that Khalil was probably my favorite character. Who was your favorite character of the mains? Uh, um, oh, of the mains. Well, um, if, you got, if you got, I mean, if you, somebody, you know, guest star is like your favorite character the whole season. Yeah. Yeah. You know, who I really like was Fennec Shand. Ming, yeah. Wat, Ming yeah. Na Wen as Fennec Shand. And I really dead? think that was, I hope she's not. I was not because we still don't know. We still don't know who came across her. Yeah, I don't think she's dead. Yeah. I'm um, I'm hoping she's not. I thought she was. I, th- I thought she was great. You had said it. I mean, Fennec Shan is a great Star Wars villain name. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, she's presented as a villain, but but just because she was a uh, an assassin for um, for the Huts doesn't necessarily make her a villain. That just makes her uh, employed. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Spoken like a because you know I mean, but, but you figure you know the Mandalorian is a bounty hunter not because that's what he is because that's, that's how he can survive. Yeah, that's how he can survive. Get money, you know? get money for the foundlings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I do. I, I you know I really do like um, Pedro Pascal. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't read that article about um, um, Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah, about her not working with him. I presumed that he wasn't always in the suit, mm-hmm. you know, particularly in an episode like like two, for example, when he there's very little dialogue mm-hmm. in the whole thing. Um, but um, I I I like the way I like the way that he approaches the character. Mm-hmm. It's very different, you know, because Boba Fett. There are some parallels in the backstory about you know he lost his father he's the jedi he's got a chip on his shoulder he's experienced loss at a very young age he's boba fett was not a mandalorian you know right and is really is really a difference right um and um din jaren is he's a he's a true believer in it and a a staunch adherent to the code Mm -hmm. and i think that um is is good because it presents some natural vulnerabilities in that character uh particularly when he uh was with the widow mm-hmm. and it was clear that he could have he at least at the time before the assassins showed up it was clear that he could have stayed there mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. been happy you know right right um 
the guest stars do get a little out of hand from time to time. Um, but there are some Easter eggs. I, I didn't know this till recently, but um, the on the on episode six, the um, the pilot, the one that was uh, killed, mm-hmm. was played by Matt Latner, who yeah. voices Anakin yeah. Skywalker in right. the Clone Wars animated series. Right. And I thought that that was cool. To, yeah, those um, see those type of cameos are cool because it's kind of like you know inside baseball. You know, so it's just a little mm-hmm. kind of nod that if you know, you know; if you don't, you know. Cool. Mm-hmm. I don't like it when it's like again. It's, it feels like you're not looking for the best person for that role. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not to say, again, it's not to say that those actors wouldn't be great in other roles. It's just that they didn't fit that particular character very great, in my opinion. And I feel that it was like, yo, let me find something for, you know, this person to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that backfires sometimes. Um, all right. Well, I've already said, you know, my favorite character is Quill and I've, I've broken that down. Let me ask you this. You said your favorite chapter was, I think you said chapter seven. Yeah. Chapter um, seven. Why? Okay. Why that chapter as opposed to, you know, eight or three or whatever? You know, it had a good balance of, of what, what's, what Star Wars is, mm-hmm. um, you know, part Western, part power trip, part fear, part cliffhanger. There was... I mean, some real emotional loss that happened in chapter seven right. that you don't even get in the films. Right. <laughs> we are going to go into what we, and not to pit these two things against each other, but we could be here all day talking about what we get, what we got out of this that we were looking for in the films. But yeah, I feel you. Yeah. Um, and uh, it appealed to me, uh, um, you know, this just, you know, the way the TIE fighter arrived and things, you know, stuff that appealed to me to my inner to my inner child mm-hmm. <laughs> going nuts over a spaceship landing right you know right something and have something Giancarlo step out of it and the first thing he says <laughs> you have something that I want <laughs> right <laughs> let's get to the, let's get to the core of this yeah that was that was just that was just great so for me um my favorite chapter is chapter two and the reason being that chapter, it was, you know, it was written by Favreau, directed by Rick Famuyiwa, and it feels like a prose poem to me that that this episode feels like a there's a po- there's a poetic quality this episode mm-hmm. that, you know, I couldn't shake. You know, I watched it. I've watched it more. Than I watched any of the other episodes. But mm-hmm. even though some of the other episodes were more had more action in them and had more storytelling in them. Um, such as that, you know, chapter three, which followed chapter two, you know, the next week, <clears throat> excuse me, that something about chapter two really just um, resonated with me. And I felt, you know, after I thought about it for a while, I was like, it felt like, you know, like this long visual poem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there isn't any dialogue in this, this story It's called the child, you know, it's, it, you know, obviously is centered on, it takes place right after um Mando has, you know, found this child and killed IG-11 to protect the child. Mm -hmm. And so in the opening shot we have is of this, you know, Mando walking through this valley with the child and that floating pram behind him. And you don't know it, but that's that's going to become like an iconic scene, you know, in this series is the Mando just walking in this, you know, wide vista with this Mm -hmm. pram like floating behind him. It's very Shogun Assassin. Shogun Assassin, you know, it feels is it has a piece to it that you know is about to be interrupted by violence, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and there isn't any dialogue 
any spoken words in this episode for the first almost 12 minutes of this episode. And the episode, I think, is like 38 minutes long or 35 minutes long. So, you you know, a great portion of this episode is spent in silence. Um, and that silence, you know, it just you never really feel that until you actually go back and look at it again and say, wait a minute, let me see how long it was. And you know, oh, shit, it was 12. You don't feel it because so many things happen in this episode mm-hmm. um, to fill that space. And so there's a lot of shots, <clears throat> excuse me, of that, that those wide vistas um, of, you know, this planet where, you know, the, the Mandalorian is kind of walking across by foot because, you know, his ship is taken apart by Jawas. And who who would ever thought, man, I was so happy to see Jawas, you know, <clears throat> when they show up, they bring a you don't like them, you know, what I'm saying because they're Jawas and they they steal shit. But <laughs> <laughs> right they're they're comedic, you know, and they're, they have an earnestness to them. Like they, they real about their, you know, they really are dedicated to this craft of, of taking other people's things. Um, and so when they show up, you know, I was actually happy to see them, but then it was interesting to me to see the Mandalorian immediately start laying waste to them, mm-hmm. you know, like taking mm-hmm. them out, not going down mm-hmm. here to talk to them or scare them off. Like, um, I think, uh, Kenobi did or, or, uh, Luke might have done. No, he just starts blasting them. And when you go back and watch the scene, man, it's very interesting to see baby Yoda is like staring at the Mandalorian the entire time. He's like watching him take these dudes out, mm-hmm. not with disgust or anything. Baby Yoda is mm-hmm. like fascinated by this, which speaks to later on in the series um, where, you know, Quill is talking about imprinting and what you imprint on people. Oh. And you see mm-hmm. baby Yoda taking in all this violence. And so it doesn't surprise you later on when, baby Yoda starts force choking people. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, look at what this baby has been exposed to. Matter of fact, IG 11 when in chapter eight, when IG 11 is blasting people left and right, apologizes to baby Yoda and says, I'm sorry, you had to see that. Mm-hmm. And baby Yoda kind of smiles. And I'm thinking that baby, you have no idea the shit that that baby's seen over the last, yeah. you know, a couple of months hanging out with this Mandalorian. Right. Um, he's been dropped like four or five times dropped, by this he's point. He's been, go- he's just been through a lot of stuff, but just mm-hmm. sitting there watching his, essentially who was his father, um, just take cats apart, you know, set people on fire. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, yeah. this, this baby's been through a lot. Um, so yeah, in this episode, we get that, we get the first hint of the force healing, you know, when the baby is like walking up on Mando trying to heal him. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get the kind of the first nod of that. We get, like I said, all those beautiful shots of um, of dusk and those vistas. Um, we get moments of humor, um, you know, between Mando and the and the Jawas and Quill and the Jawas. Um, we get a line, you know, the Mandalorian says, you know, weapons are part of my religion. I'm a Mandalorian. Weapons are part of my religion, which opens up a lot of canon thoughts. Like, wait a minute, you know, I mm-hmm. thought Satine and you know, I thought they denounced that and, Oh, wait a minute. Do they return it? You know, what is, is that a Mandalorian thing? Is that just a thing with that particular clan of Mandalorians, you know, opens up a lot of questions that I'm thinking we'll get more answers to in um, season two. Um, the whole egg There's thing, a, you know, the, the uh, egg was funny because egg, when man. Quill Zuka, what do they call it? Zuka, whatever <laughs> uh-huh. they called it, man, that shit probably one of the funniest moments in the entire series so far is when they're, yeah, he's in that, he's in the, what do you call it? The crawler. The, the uh-huh. And the Mandalorian is, you know, he's stuffed in there because he's too big. So he's sitting up in there too, you know, cramped in there. And then he just looks over at that one Jawa who's staring at him. There's a pause. And all of a sudden that Jawa just says, Zuka. 
<laughs> like, <laughs> like we about to go get high. It's almost like that's what he said. Like, don't uh-huh. I know you cramped uh-huh. it, but we about to go get high. That's you know, uh-huh. um, yeah. So that and then uh, the brutality of that attack, man. The fight between the Mandalorian and that Mudhorn was really brutal. You know, he almost blacks out. You can feel like you can again. There's no dialogue, but you just mm-hmm. feel it. Um, it's a visceral thing. Um, and then one of my, one of the most poignant moments of the entire series to me that really stuck with me is when Mandalorian knows he's about to die. Um, this, you know, the Mudhorn is, is kicking his ass left and right. Baby Yoda is like watching him getting, you know, flying across the sky after this man, after this Mudhorn hits him. Mando knows he's about to die. He takes out his knife um, and he has, he held, holds the knife in front of him and he just lowers his head. And it's very samurai-esque to me. It's mm-hmm. like, I've accepted my death. Um, you know, I'm just going to, you know, I know this isn't going to kill this mudhorn in this position, but I can't even stand right now. You know, I'm just, I'm done. So he, he lowers his head and accepts his death. He does it again in chapter three, um, which we talked about before. But that moment I thought was very, very poignant. Um, and then, of course, there's the, the build of the music and, you know, Baby Yoda uses the force. And I said this on Twitter and I didn't mean it scornfully. I meant it, you know, from an honest place for me, that was when the force awakened, you know, I got the feeling when I watched the force awaken the movie, I didn't get none of those type of feelings. You know, when Ray used the force and, you know, it was like, okay, this is the first time we've seen this live action since, you know, um, uh, really since, you know, the, the, the prequels, but that didn't, I didn't feel any of that. But when baby Yoda used the force in that scene, Mm-hmm. I felt that magic that you talked about earlier. I felt that magic and it was like, okay, the force is actually awakened. Um, so that was a really special moment. Um, and then I liked the fact that Mando and Quill, once again, they didn't really understand what had happened. You know, it was like, I don't know what the fuck that just had to do. Just yeah. The force was treated body. really well. Like what was happening was treated really well. Yeah. And different people that had knowledge had very different perspective. Well, they had different perspectives on it that were congruent. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, the so, armor I mean, identifying them as sorcerers, Quill having heard of such things. Right, uh, right. They're treating it really carefully, and that's that's what I appreciate from Favreau and Filoni and the rest of uh, Famuyiwa and Deborah Child. They're all treating it very carefully as far as these reveals, you know. It's interesting that Kara didn't have any knowledge of it. The well, presumption I mean, being that as a trooper... Mm-hmm. Not that she necessarily worked with Luke Skywalker, mm-hmm. so much as it were the it was the troopers that had knowledge of Jedi. Even yeah. after even after Order sixty six. Yeah, I mean, but okay, so Order sixty six. So we're looking at that was twenty she was, years before, almost twenty years before A New Hope, right? Right. So, then we got so let's say Kara was in the resistance. Um, let's say she joined the resistance around New Hope time. So twenty years prior to that, Jedi. Well, existed. she would have. Well, to me, she would have been New Hope. She would have. To me, she would have been young, like a child, because she would have had to escape Alderaan because it got blown up. Right. So let's say she joined the resistance around Empire Return of the Jedi time. Right. And so if the Battle of Endor happened, mm-hmm. there was a Jedi there. No. The Battle of Endor happens, only Luke is a Jedi. By the time we get to the Battle of Endor, only only Luke is around. Luke is the last Jedi um, by that time. But that's what I'm saying. There was a Jedi. But I'm saying, really, if you in Return of the Jedi, 
Luke was there for a hot minute and he was with Han and Leia. Okay. And the you know, the droids. Um, he goes off world pretty quickly. Mm, okay. So if you imagine that battle happening, you got different, you know, sections, different squadrons, they're not seeing all that. So I mean, you know, I get you, I, I'm with you as far as do we have to kind of take a leap of, you know, narrative faith? Then, yeah. yeah, but it's nowhere near as big as episode exactly. nine of Star Wars. Exactly. Nowhere so near. And can I just say <laughs> that it would have been useful if Ray had a different outfit? <laughs> Let's, you know what? We're not going back. We're not going back on that. But this, the, you know, these type of what the Mandalorian is asking of us is not even leaps. It's like little, you know, hops, you know, of, of faith, you know. So yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and take those. Um, but yeah, so that's why chapter two is my favorite. So let me ask you before we end the episode. Um, what you know what do you think this this the mandalorian is apparently by all i I don't think disney plus has released any type of hard stats or hard data but what do you think the apparent success of this show means for you know the greater star wars universe um i think that it I think that there's a lot to draw from this i think there's an appeal but it's just a different appeal than uh, what the films did. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, for Disney Plus to use this as their, um, not just their tentpole, but you know, as this uh, draw mm-hmm. um, was smart to hold it for streaming, that the only way you can see this is, is to subscribe uh, to our service and flat out know there are a lot of people, you and I included, that pulled the trigger immediately right. because we were going to be able to see the Mandalorian. Right. I think, you know, and again, right. I'm not going to jump on my, uh, or pat myself on the back on the whole star TV is the future of star Wars thing. Cause it may not be. And I, I'm, I'm well aware that <clears throat> there's too much money at stake mm-hmm. in films. You know, they're going to make more films, you know what I'm saying? It's just, you, you know, you can't, when you talk about grossing 800 or a billion dollars, then um, and netting, you know, three or four hundred million dollars, then yeah, you're gonna get more of this. You're gonna you're gonna make more films. So, I do think there's gonna be more films, but I feel like what this does is show how long form storytelling, and we, you know, how important long form storytelling is for Star Wars. And they should have already known this because, in my opinion, Clone Wars the animated series proved this. But I am aware of the kind of we talked about on this show, how animation is not looked at in the high regard, the same regard as live action is, even though Mm -hmm. I think it should be. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I think that this has shown from a live action standpoint how important long form storytelling is, 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 is to this to this um, to this galaxy or this intellectual property. So I feel also that what's going to be telltale, we have the Obi-Wan series coming on Disney Mm -hmm. Plus and we have. Um, Cassie and Andor coming. You know, there's also supposed to be a season seven of the Clone Wars next year. Yeah, that starts in February. That starts in February. But in terms of live action, I'm just saying those are the two we know we have coming. And Deborah Chow is running. Oh, right, live so action. Right. In ter- you know, so to me, it's like okay, if these, if those two, and I think Tony Gilroy is involved with um, Cassie and Andor. So mm-hmm. if those mm-hmm. two live up to the quality of the Mandalorian and it's been confirmed that the Mandalorian also side note, Mandalorian is coming back. Season two is coming back in fall of 2020. Mm-hmm. So if this success continues, I think it opens up a very exciting, you know, door for, um, for star Wars moving forward. 
Um, so I'm excited. I, you know, I'm very, like I said, I was very surprised at the quality of this season, even though I don't think it was perfect, even though I think there's definitely room for improvement, especially if you're talking about episodes five and um, six and maybe even four a little bit. But overall, man, this season exceeded my expectations greatly. So nice. It's a nice way to end 2019. I'm glad that we were able to talk about it to end, um, you know, the, uh, this this chapter of Mad Unreal in 2019 ended on a high note talking about this show. Um, I look forward to coming back early next year, February, and diving back into some of these things. I think there is one aspect in terms of just Star Wars, The Mandalorian. I think, um, you know, there's a special aspect that you and I talked about earlier today that we didn't, we weren't able to get to. So I want to, I will probably end up doing a special show about that. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll be back with this more Star Wars stuff, more MCU stuff, um, DCEU Bond. Like I said, we're going to do something really special with James Bond moving into the, um, uh, release of no time to die. And then, uh, like I said, the Finn special, we'll do something on Finn to really highlight, um, our thoughts on this, um, this brother and his place in the galaxy far, far away. So, um, we got a lot coming up early 2020, so I'm looking forward to it. Make sure to reach out to us on Twitter. My handle is A-R-R-T-H-U-R-R. And you can find me at Twitter and on Instagram at, um, at Isaac Perry, I-S-A-A-C-P-E-R-R-Y. So uh, we encourage you to subscribe and follow on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Um, spreading the word, If please leave a review. Uh, it really does help. And um, Absolutely. And hit us on Twitter, hashtag us, uh, Mad and Real. Any thoughts you have about anything we said today? Like I said, at the top of the episode, these are just our opinions. So we want to hear what you guys got to think, got to say. Um, if you think Arthur is completely insane for his thoughts on uh, the, the rise of Skywalker, let us know. Just be nice. Be nice to the brother um, and be nice to me, too. And we'll be nice back. Yo, keep it unreal. Peace. <laughs>